0: Hello, and thank you for joining us for Fairies and Dragons, Ponies and Knights, Episode 11, Waterfalls. If this is your first time listening to Fairies and Dragons, Ponies and Knights, you might want to start listening at Episode 1 so that you get the full story. My name is Marin Langdon-Sbilain, and today we are thrilled to welcome special guest artist from Vermont, Ellen Kuchera. Ellen did an amazing ceramic sculpture of the raft and the waterfall, so please check the show notes for a link to see her final artwork. We also want to take a moment to share another great story podcast from a fellow member of Kids Listen, the Fina Mendoza Mysteries. Once upon a time, there was a little girl from California. That's me. I'm Fina Mendoza. She had an older sister named Gabby. That's me. We moved to Capitol Hill to live with Papa. He's a politician. Congressman Arturo Mendoza of California's 34th Congressional District. D.C. is a weird place. (laughs) Mama said Washington had the ugliest shoes in America. But then you met your stupid dog. Senator something! He's my best friend in Washington. I think it was President Truman who said, if you want a friend in Washington get a dog. And then one day I saw it, the demon cat of Capitol Hill, and bad things started happening. It was up to me and Senator Something to solve the mystery of the demon cat of Capitol Hill.
1: These are the Fina Mendoza Mysteries on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or
0: wherever you listen to podcasts. Subscribe now. Now, one thing that I love about stories that you listen to is that everyone imagines the story a little bit differently. I know how it looks in my head, but I love to see how other people imagine things. So I encourage all of you listeners to grab your favorite supplies and draw, sculpt, paint, or create anything that you're inspired to while listening. Then you can share your creation with us during one of our live shows, post it on our Facebook page, or email it to us at PetraTheDragon at gmail.com. And now let us begin episode 11 of Fairies and Dragons, Ponies and Knights, Waterfalls. Previously on Fadpack, Beatrice, a mother dragon, believes her egg has been stolen by the ponies and the fairies. She sets off to find her missing egg with her five children and two humans, Talora Shamsa, a knight in training, and Tom Thomas, a stable boy. On their journey, they encounter a unicorn who charges Beatrice and stabs her in the shoulder. The unicorn's horn transmitted a poison that could kill Beatrice unless they get her to the ponies in time. Edwin and Lyle fly ahead to the Shazboro grasslands to find the ponies, while Talora, Azrael, Petra, Smudge, and Furball the kitten take Beatrice down the Crystal River on a makeshift raft. The raft has almost reached the grasslands when they are stopped by a mile of cascading waterfalls. But Smudge... Has a plan. Asriel, Petra, Talora, and Smudge collapsed with relief as soon as they dragged the raft holding Beatrice past the wild current and onto the safety of the beach. But they couldn't rest for long. It was time for phase two of Smudge's plan. Barely pausing to catch her breath, Talora stood and looked at Asriel, Petra, and Smudge. Okay, she said, I am going to talk through this slowly to make sure that we're all on the same page. Got it? Asriel and Petra nodded. Smudge, trying to copy their serious expressions, bobbed his head like a chicken. Good, said Talora. First, we get your mom off the raft. Second, we untie the raft and let go of all the logs except one. Third, we tie your mom's tail, feet, and head to the remaining log so that she's hanging from it. Fourth, Asriel, we will tie your hind feet to the front of the log, and Petra, we will tie your hind feet to the back of the log. Fourth, We will scoot fifth, interrupted Asriel. What? asked Tolora. Fifth. You already said fourth. We're on fifth now. Oh, okay, said Talora. Fifth. I put mine and Tom's packs on. Sixth, we scoot into the water. How are we scooting into the water when our legs are tied to the log? asked Petra. Good point, said Talora. How about we scoot your mom to the water before we tie you to the log? Would that work? Yeah, good, said Petra. "'Okay, so what number was I on?' "'Well, you were on six, said Asriel. "'But I'm not sure if the water-scooting part still counts as five "'because the leg-tying part is coming after now, so that's the new five. "'Or wait, maybe it's all one step? "'Which would mean that the next step is five. "'Or, you know, we could just call it 5.5, "'since these moves are technically connected in terms of their proximity to the—' "'Okay, forget the numbers,' Dolores squeezed her eyes shut, trying to focus.' We tie your mom to the log, we scoot her to the water. We tie both of you to the log, then I put on the packs. Tom's pack, with furball, will be on my front. My pack, on my back. Then Smudge gets into the water, and I get on top of Smudge. Then, Talora took a deep breath. Then, we push off into the water. We let the current take us over the waterfall, but just as we go over, Smudge, Azrael, and Petra, you will all open your wings. Then... Hopefully, according to Smudge's plan, we will glide our way down, past the waterfalls and into the grasslands. Does that sound right? What if Smudge can't hold a glide with you on his back? asked Petra. First I'll throw off my pack of stuff. Then, if he still can't glide, we'll try to land. Smudge can glide the rest of the way down on his own, and I'll do my best to climb down. What if Petra and I can't fly with Mom? We'll tie the knots on your feet so that you can release them. If you have to. But, well... "'Got it,' said Petra, sparing Talora from articulating the awful truth. If they had to release the knots, they knew what would happen to Beatrice. "'Is everyone ready?' asked Talora. They all nodded, smudge again, bobbing like a chicken. "'Good. Let's do this.' They all worked together to move Beatrice off the raft and give her the last bit of dragon's tooth tea. Tolora untied Captain Lee's rope from the logs on the raft and let the logs go, all but one— watching them as they re-entered the current and were swept briskly over the waterfall's edge. She shivered, trying not to think about how close they had been to that same fate. Talora gathered up Lee's rope, which was heavy with water but still strong and undamaged. Dolora used it to tie Beatrice's legs to the one remaining log. Petra helped by supporting the weight of each leg as Talora carefully checked her knots. She knew that when Beatrice was airborne, she would look exactly like a deer or an elk, "'all trussed up like she was being brought back from a hunt. "'Picturing this, Delora looped some rope around Beatrice's horns "'and attached it to the log, too, so that her head would be supported. "'Thank the sun and moon and stars for this rope,' "'Delora vowed to find some priceless gift for Captain Lee when she saw him next. "'Once Beatrice was secure, they worked together to gently pull her "'into the calmer water that lapped onto the little beach. "'They all stared at her for a minute.' She looked like she was sleeping, her body relaxed and peaceful. Tolora couldn't tell if she was imagining the fact that her sides were rising and falling at a slower rate than they had been the day before. She shook her head to try to clear out the worry. Time for the last step. She looked at Asriel and Petra. "'Are you ready?' she asked. "'Yes,' said Petra. "'No, but yes,' said Asriel. "'Okay, Asriel, go to the front of the log. Petra, to the back.' As soon as they were in place, Talora bound Asriel and Petra's hind legs together, using some rope from Tom's pack. She tied the other ends tightly to the log. If if you have to untie the rope, pull on this end here, and the knot should give away. Petra and Asriel nodded nervously. They stood there, awkwardly, as Talora put the packs on. She peeked inside Tom's pack as she secured it to her chest to check on Furball. He was crouched, alertly, his little whiskered face staring somberly up at Telora. She cinched the top carefully shut and then added her own pack to her back. She nodded to Smudge and he scampered into the water. Staggering under the combined weight of the packs, Talora climbed carefully onto Smudge's back. She looked at Azrael and Petra. "'Ready?' Talora asked again. They looked at her with frightened eyes. Of course they weren't ready. She wasn't ready. Honestly, Furball was the only one who seemed ready, but it didn't matter. "'Okay. Okay. You've got this.' With one last nod to each other, the two groups pushed off back into the river's current, heading for the waterfall. Here we go, thought Talora. There's no turning back now. Dragons float, for the most part, like ducks, but Asriel, at the front, ended up looking more like a drowning chicken as he thrashed around, attempting to hold the log to keep Beatrice's head above the water. As Smudge entered the deeper water, Talora breathed a sigh of relief when she didn't sink him completely. It would be less than a minute before they went over the edge of the waterfall. It was, as Azrael had mentioned, really more like many separate waterfalls, continuing downwards for at least a mile. If they couldn't glide long enough, or far enough, they would crash into the water or on the cliffs surrounding the river. But as Petra had said, they didn't have a better plan, and they didn't have time to think of something else. They just had to try. They were speeding up now. The water was cold, but smudge was warm. Talora was shivering anyway. She could see the edge of the waterfall approaching. Its roar was everywhere. It was everything. Closer. Closer. Delora could feel her stomach attempting to crawl into her toes. Here it was. They were going over... The last thing she saw before she shut her eyes was the water curling sharply over the top of the waterfall then falling straight down beneath her, hundreds of feet crashing below. Dolores started to scream and squeezed her eyes shut and her mouth shut as spray from the water washed her face. She held on to Smudge for dear life. She felt them falling fast, the wind and water whipping all around them. Then Smudge's wings opened and caught the air. They didn't seem to slow down so much as they shot forward in a wide arc slowly leveling out. It felt almost like... like sledding down a steep mountain. Talora opened her eyes, squinting against the wind and water. "'Smudge! You're doing it!' she shouted, but they weren't safe yet. Below them there was a long shelf of land the river flowed through before giving way to more cliffs and the next round of waterfalls. They were still falling, but they were heading out, and if they could make it past this stretch below them, they might be all right. Talora swung her head around and found Asriel and Petra. Their wings were extended, and they were gliding, Beatrice dangling below them. It was working. They hadn't been pulled directly down into the waterfall like she had feared, though she noticed they were falling harder and faster than she and Smudge were, and T'olora was worried they wouldn't level out before hitting the shelf of land that she and Smudge were passing over. Smudge started to wobble. It was hard for him to hold the glide with T'olora on his back. Smudge! T'olora shouted hoping he could hear her over the roar of the waterfall. You're amazing! You are so amazing! You are the best flyer in the world! I knew you could do it! Her encouragement seemed to be helping. Smudge's grasp on the glide was firming up. They were going to make it past the shelf. You can do it, Smudgy! Just a little further and then it will get easier. I know it! Smudge's glide leveled out and they stopped falling so quickly. They easily sailed past the edge of the cliff below them and out over the next waterfall. Talora looked behind them. Petra and Azrael were having a harder time. They were falling too quickly and heading toward the rocks that she and Smudge had just cleared. You can do it. You can do it. You can do it. You can do it, thought Talora. Azrael and Petra started pumping their wings. Hard. Harder. Even through the mist from the waterfall, Talora could see the strain in their bodies and could only imagine just how hard they must be working to keep their mother aloft. They were straightening out just a little further now. You can do it! You can do it! Talora cheered them in her mind. Yes! They made it over the rocky stretch and out over the next waterfall behind Talora and Smudge. Smudge, they made it! Your plan is working! Now that Petra and Azriel had cleared the cliff and leveled out, they could glide more easily. Talora allowed herself to relax for a moment. They were all drifting, falling quickly, but in control, away from the cliffs and the waterfalls. They must have been a mile high up in the air. Talora could see, ahead and below them, the grassland stretching out from the banks of the river. If she hadn't been so terrified, she might have found it beautiful. Smudge had managed to steer his way closer to Petra and Asriel. Talora could see the strain of carrying Beatrice clearly written on their faces. "'I don't know how long I can hold her!' Azrael yelled. Tolora tried to encourage him the way she had with Smudge. You can do it, Asriel! I know you can! Look! We're close! We'll be down in a minute! You just have to hold on! Just a few more minutes! Asriel tried to nod, but he didn't have the energy. Talora looked back at Petra, who could barely lift her head to meet Talora's gaze. Despite what she had told them, they still had a long way to go before they reached the bottom of the mountain and the grasslands. Then, a strangled roar escaped from Petra, and Talora's head whipped around in time to see Petra's wings folding upwards as she began to lose the ability to hold them out anymore. Talora! I can't! Talora had never heard Petra sound like that before, and her heart lurched as she realized there was nothing she could do to help her. Edwin could see the river up ahead and the mountains beyond. She and Lyle, with the ponies galloping below, had almost reached the spot where they had planned to meet the others. Edwin was scanning the banks of the river, but there was no sign of her family or Talora. She kept flying, trying not to be worried, hoping that as they got closer she would see some sign of them. They kept flying until they reached a spot where they could see the river leaving the mountains and snaking away into the heart of the grasslands. Almost as soon as they landed, they could feel the thunderous approach of the galloping ponies. Moonbeam was leading the way and called a halt as they reached Edwin and Lyle. About a dozen ponies from the Rainbow Herd had joined Moonbeam, and now they all looked around expectantly. Moonbeam, too, looked curious. Why have we stopped? Where is your mother? Edwin tried to act confident like she knew exactly what was going on. Well, they're going to be here in just a second. Or soon, I guess. They should probably be here pretty soon, I mean. This is our meeting spot. Or not exactly here, just, you know, around here. See, when we left them a couple days ago, our mother couldn't move, so we put her on a raft. Our brothers, our sister, our human friend, and our cat friend, they were going to come down the river while we came to find you ponies. We said to meet where the river leaves the mountains and meets the grasslands. So, here we are. (laughs) They should be here soon. Moonbeam looked at Edwin strangely. You have a human friend and a cat friend. Yeah, is that weird? said Edwin. Don't forget Tom, said Lyle. Oh, right, so two human friends, but Tom ran away, but so just one for now, said Edwin. You would like Tom, said Lyle, who seemed to be getting over his shyness around the ponies. He works in the stables at Durga, so he knows all about horses. We are not horses, said Moonbeam crisply. Lyle didn't seem to notice the tone. Oh, right. Well, he's great anyway. He tells lots of stories and has lots of songs and things. Talor is great, too, though. I I don't mean to be all like, oh, Tom's my favorite or anything. I was just thinking about Tom because I miss him. Such a curious group, said Moonbeam. Your mother was on a raft traveling down the river. Yeah, why? Asked Edwin. How will they get down the waterfalls? Asked Moonbeam. Sudden dread and realization washed over Edwin like a bucket of cold water. She remembered flying over the waterfalls on their way here, but hadn't even considered them. Why hadn't they thought of that problem? "'I don't know,' she replied desperately. Now she understood why they weren't here yet. She turned to look down the river where she could make out, in the distance, a wild tumble of water. Lyle spoke up. "'Well, I think they probably took apart the raft we built and tied our mom to one of the logs.' Then they could tie Asriel and Petra's legs to the log, and then they could just, like, you know, let themselves go right off the waterfall. Then their wings could be like parachutes, keeping them from falling really fast. And I guess Mudge could carry to Laura, because she's really good at riding dragons and he's been practicing his gliding a lot. But I wonder where they put Furball. No way, Lyle said Edwin. Petra and Azriel could never carry Mom, and I doubt Smudge could carry Tolora. "'Yeah, they can,' replied Lyle confidently. "'How do you know?' asked Edwin. "'Cause they're right over there,' said Lyle, and pointed with a wingtip behind Edwin. Edwin whipped around, and so did all the ponies. Everyone gasped. In the distance, high, high above them, they could just make out two strange shapes descending quickly in front of the waterfall— If you squinted, you could see that one shape was a huge dragon tied to a log, with two smaller dragons carrying it, gliding jerkily downwards. Slightly above and behind them, the other shape revealed itself to be a smaller dragon, with a human rider on its back. Frolicking fireflies, exclaimed Moonbeam. Never in my life have I seen anything like... Lyle! Edwin yelled, realization and fear hitting her at the same time. Mom is too heavy! They need our help! She leapt into the air, heading furiously toward her family, Lyle right behind her. Tellora started looking frantically around, trying to figure out how she could help Petra. What could she do? Maybe there was a closer place to land. She started scanning the cliff sides, looking for any landing place where they could stop and rest. There was nothing. Hold on, Petra! she screamed. Think of something, Talora! Think of something! Then up ahead, her eye caught something moving swiftly toward them a bird, a big bird. No, two big birds heading their way. No, no, not birds, dragons. Edwin and Lyle were coming. Petra, Azriel, hold on. Edwin and Lyle, they're here, they're coming. They're coming towards us right now. Azriel and Petra's wings were drifting up, holding less and less air, making them fall faster. She squinted towards Edwin and Lyle, willing them to move faster. Azriel and Petra both had their eyes tightly shut and their jaws clenched. All of their concentration was focused on holding their wings out and not letting them collapse upwards. Hurry, please! Delora yelled to the younger dragons as Smudge roared out his own plea. Then suddenly, Asriel's wings gave way, shooting straight up over his shoulders. The front end of the log plummeted, pulling Asriel with it. Petra couldn't handle the added weight, and her wings gave way as well. Petra, Asriel, and Beatrice started falling fast. Talora couldn't breathe. She looked ahead at Lyle and Edwin. They were close and had folded their wings back into a fast dive, hoping to intercept the falling dragons on their way down. Their timing would have to be perfect. The log was now beginning to spin out of control, but Edwin and Lyle were almost there. Closer. Closer. Edwin collided with the log. "'Yes!' yelled to Laura. Lyle crashed just behind her. Both of them scrambled along the log to get the best grip. They hadn't opened their wings yet. What were they doing?' Edwin! Lyle! yelled Asriel. Just slow us down! Stop us from spinning! Okay! yelled Edwin. She gripped tightly to the log and opened her wings just a little, using them like a rudder to steer the direction of the log slightly. Lyle copied her. Now what? she asked as she and Lyle tried to correct the spinning motion of the log. We have to open our wings! All at once! gasped Petra. It will only work if we do it all together! Do you hear me? Yes, Petra! Lyle yelled, and he and Edwin tensed their muscles, getting ready. Talora and Smudge were now far above them and could barely make out what was happening. Talora gripped Smudge's shoulders tightly and tried to ignore the scared moaning sounds he was making as he watched his family plummet toward the ground. They had somehow managed to stop spinning, but they were still falling fast. It would only be a few more seconds before there was nothing more they could do. "'Okay, on three, Petra said. "'All together, slowly. One, two, three. Open your wings!' They did exactly as she said, and the log swooped forward as the combined force of their wings caught the wind. As they were able to fully spread their wings, the log leveled out a little more. Even with all four of them, the strain was incredible. ''Hold on, just hold on!'' yelled Petra. Tolora could tell that all four sets of wings were holding strong. They began to arc forward gracefully, regaining control. ''They're doing it, Smudgy! They're doing it! We're gonna make it! Your plan is going to work! You are brilliant!'' Laura squeezed Smudge's neck tightly, nearly choking him as she watched the dragons below slow down even further as they drifted toward the ground. The dragons were close to the ground now, and they could see the ponies. They were running around, stamping and whinnying and tossing their heads wildly. Okay, everyone, yelled Petra. Try to land gently. We don't want to hurt Mom. They had finally reached the bottom of the mountain and crossed the river into the grasslands. They flapped their wings hard to slow themselves as best they could, and Beatrice crashed to the ground. Lyle and Edwin jumped off the log at the last minute, but Petra and Azrael, caught by the rope on their feet, tumbled roughly to the ground, each wrenching their bodies away from Beatrice to avoid hurting her. Is mom okay? Is she okay? Edwin scrambled frantically toward Beatrice and rested her head on her side. They all watched as Edwin's head lifted and fell with Beatrice's breath. They had made it. Tears poured down everyone's cheeks as they lay there, gasping gratefully. Once they had recovered somewhat, Lyle and Edwin helped pull the ropes off of Petra, Azrael, and Beatrice. The ponies were approaching them, and Edwin could tell that they were excited. It was the first time that many of these ponies had seen a dragon, and now there were five of them. Well, make that six, Edwin thought, as Smudge and Talora landed and raced over to the group. "'Is everyone okay?' Talora gasped as she reached them. Petra was so tired, she could hardly lift her wings off the ground. "'We're fine. We're all fine. Mom is fine.' For a moment, the dragons, Talora, and the ponies regarded each other, everyone taking in the strangeness of this moment. Lyle broke the silence by galloping over to Moonbeam. Oh man, Moonbeam. Oh man! Did you see that? Did you see that? You ponies don't even know, but let me tell you, that does not happen all the time. Whoa, whoa. That is like number seven times I've almost died this week. Edwin, too, was overcome with joy. We made it! We made it! We made it to the grasslands! We found the ponies! We saved Mom! Team, smash it up! To the rescue! Moonbeam had come closer and was inspecting Beatrice. Azrael and Petra moved protectively toward their mother, but Edwin stopped them. It's okay, guys. They want to help her. They said they'd help. Petra nodded and addressed Moonbeam, who was now walking around Beatrice in a wide circle. Is she going to be okay? I don't know yet, Moonbeam answered. "'Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot to introduce everyone,' said Edwin. "'Everyone, this is Moonbeam. Moonbeam, this is my sister Petra, my brother Azriel, and my other brother Smudge. And this is our human friend Talora. She is a knight in training. I don't know the rest of the ponies' names yet, but I cannot wait to find out. We're going to be best friends with all of them!' The ponies tossed their manes and stamped their hooves, which Talora thought looked like a gesture of approval. Moonbeam put his forehead against the wound on Beatrice's shoulder. When did this happen? Two days ago, answered Talora. Well, oh no, almost three. Three days this evening. She shouldn't be alive, said Moonbeam. We've been giving her dragon's tooth, answered Tolora. It was supposed to slow down the poison. Yes, I can see that, but there's something else, some other magic that has kept her heart strong. Talora and the dragons looked at each other questioningly. I can sense it right now said Moonbeam. It's coming from your pack. He gestured toward the spot where Talora had placed the packs after landing. Talora crossed to her pack and began to unfasten the straps, confused. No, not that one, the other one, said Moonbeam. Furball! Edwin exclaimed as Talora opened Tom's pack and a tiny furry head popped out. <coughs> Seeing all the ponies and dragons looking at him, he quickly ducked his head back down. Is furball magic? The power of a cat's purr cannot be underestimated." answered Moonbeam softly. We never see them in these parts. I had thought they would be bigger. Oh, well, he's just a little baby cat. He'll get bigger someday, explained Edwin. Oh, of course, Talora said, realizing. All that time, Furball was climbing on Beatrice and purring on her. He was helping her, making her stronger. Good job, Furball. "'Edwin said, sticking her nose into the pack to nuzzle the kitten. "'He hissed and swatted her, but Edwin laughed softly. "'Looks like Tom knew what he was doing bringing you along.' "'Moonbeam had his forehead against Beatrice's wound again. "'He looked up, worried. "'Then he called out, "'Starfire!' "'Out of the crowd of ponies came a pale yellow pony "'with a vibrant rainbow mane. "'She trotted up to Moonbeam and Beatrice "'and immediately placed her forehead against the wound "'as Moonbeam had done.' She held it there for several minutes, her eyes closed. Everyone stared anxiously. Finally, she lifted her head and spoke. "'I'm so sorry,' she said. "'There is nothing we can do. Even all of us ponies together, the unicorn's magic is too strong, and it has progressed too far.' "'No!' Petra sprang to her feet, looking fiercely at the ponies. "'You haven't even tried yet! You have to at least try!' Panicking, Talora grasped at the first idea that shot into her brain. Is there anything else, anyone else, who can save her? What about the fairies? Can we find them? Can they help us? Starfire answered slowly. The fairies cannot be found. They are everywhere, and they are nowhere. They appear only when they want to. I'm sorry. I'm afraid there is nothing we can do. Talora reached blindly out and found Petra grasping her shoulder. As one, they sunk to the ground, defeated. Hello again. If you'd like to know what happens next, please tune in for episode 12, My with special guest artist from Vermont, Colin Bright. Now a couple of quick announcements. We only have two more live Zoom shows. We will be performing both episodes 12 and 13 on August 8th, and we'll be finishing season one with episodes 14 and 15 on September 5th. We hope to see you there. For you listeners, the podcast for episode 12 will be available by August 14th. If you're enjoying Fad Pack, there are a few simple and fun ways to support the show. You can leave us a rating or write a review on Apple Podcasts or the website podchaser.com. This is a great way to help others find the show, and it really means a lot to us. You can also shop from our online store at dirtroadtheater.com. Our store has stickers, t-shirts, hats, mugs— even a fad pack fanny pack and a fad pack backpack, all featuring the work from our special guest artists. Or you can buy a ticket to one of our live zoom shows where you'll be the first to hear the new episodes and you can share your drawings or thoughts about the show and chat with other listeners. For tickets to the live show, please visit dirtroadtheater.com/fadpack. And now we'd like to share some moments from our live show. Hi. Hi, everybody. Welcome. We are joined today by our special guest artist, Ellen. How much advanced planning did you have to do before you actually started doing the work that we saw you doing?
1: You know, I had in my idea, I had in my mind kind of what I thought it was going to look, at, look like. And I have, if you can see, I had a template for the trees. Um, so in terms of cutting them out, so that was some advanced planning of, okay, well, if I have this shape and I cut it out of the clay, it's going to fold neatly into this cone. Yeah. Um, and then I just kind of went with it as we were watching. One of my sons commented on one of the trees at how he really liked, um, the design on it. And I said, well, actually, you know, the interesting thing about that one is that it was one that wasn't planned. It wasn't supposed to be like that. Um, but I had, uh, a tech a technological problem where the clay had gotten a little bit too hard and it couldn't manipulate it in the way I wanted. And so I had to just kind of work with it. You know, I had to solve that problem. And that's a lot of what sculpture is, is problem solving. So, you know, if you're making something and it doesn't work, just figure it out, solve the problem.
0: That's great advice
1: for life, too. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I love that you were excited to do the scenery and the atmosphere. And I'm wondering if you'd tell us a little bit about why that's exciting for you. I love being outside. I love being out in nature. I love working with natural elements. Um, So that's part of it. And that's kind of translated into what I like to make um, inside. (laughs) And And I love the scenery of it. I love the idea of this is a space that um, the story is taking place in. Oliver? I have a bunch of things I made. I have a bunch. When ponies are die, a rain, rainbow, rainbow come, rainbow like a shud suit out of them. It makes rainbow. Like whenever you see a rainbow, that tells you that a pony just died.
0: Wow. So that's the rainbow coming out of the pony.
1: It's a rainbow pony.
0: A rainbow pony. Oh yeah, go ahead, Gracelyn.
1: Um, I've never drawn dragons in this position, so they might it, it, it looks kind of sloppy. Wow, I love that, I mean, Gracelyn. It's not my best dragon ever, but I like it.
0: I think that's amazing. It is really hard to draw things that we're used to drawing in different positions.
1: That's really great, Gracelyn. There's a lot going on in that drawing.
0: Lily. Lily. Oh, look at that. I love that purple color. Willow? Oh, Edwin. I always love seeing your dragons, you two. Are you showing us the detail on her face? I forgot
1: the horns.
0: Oh, the horns. Oh, can I see that again?
1: And this one's Petra.
0: <laughs> okay. Oh, good. So we've got Petra and Edwin over there. Love it. Mia? This, she told me that this is Petra. That is really beautiful. Poppy? <laughs> I'm on this. Oh, nice.
1: beautiful. <laughs> I, uh, I like the waterfall. You like the waterfall?
0: It wasn't too scary, Poppy and Rowan?
1: Yeah. Nothing's really too scary for me. Nothing's... I know I thing of anything.
0: Okay. Sometimes I'm afraid of things, and even when I was reading it today, I felt a little bit of butterflies in my stomach, and I was wondering how everybody was feeling while they were hearing the story for the first time. So I'm glad to hear that you weren't unpleasantly afraid.
1: Mama was a little afraid.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hi, Lucinda.
1: Um, um, About um what happened to Beatrice, there could be, like, a magical plant that could heal her.
0: Oh, yeah. Something the ponies don't know about?
1: Maybe. Yeah,
0: that's a good idea.
1: I... Don't know. It doesn't seem like she can die so early into the story, really. But it it seems like she's gonna die right now. Like that. There's nothing that can save her.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That maybe if the baby showed up, her other baby, and like with the fairies.
0: Oh, the baby from the missing egg.
1: Yeah, Eli, you have a thought? Maybe like more bigger cats could come and help.
0: Oh yeah. With their, with more intense purring. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, that's fun. That is such a
1: fun idea. <laughs> we will make sure that happens at some point.
0: Like a whole, a whole pride of purring lions or something. <laughs> and, What's that? It's so cool. Good question. The name of the next episode is, you know, you know, Poppy, we don't know yet, but I can tell you that. Do you remember Tom? Yeah. Who we haven't seen for a while. Yeah. We're going to find Tom. We're going to be with Tom for the next episode. And that's it for episode 11. If you have any questions, comments, or artwork that you'd like to share with us, please email Petra at the dragon at gmail.com. Petra handles all of our communication, and she has proven to be very organized and careful with her flame fairies and dragons ponies and knights is a proud member of kids listen a grassroots organization of advocates for high quality audio content for kids you can find more great podcasts at kidslisten.org or download the app if you'd like a full transcript of any of our episodes to read along or to read on your own you can find a link at the bottom of the show notes fairies and dragons ponies and knights is made and recorded by dirt road theater in northfield vermont our guest artist for episode 11 was ellen kuchera check out our show notes for a link to Ellen's Instagram page. FadPack was written and created by Dominic Graceland and Oliver Spillane and edited and performed by myself, Marin Langdon Spillane. The music you heard was composed by the amazing Nathan Lee. You can see more of his work at NathanLee.net. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you can join us next time.